Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today, I am joined by the directing duo Danny and Michael Philippou, who have made the horror film of the year. It's called Talk To Me. It's out in the UK by Altitude. A24 bought it for the States. And this film fucked me up. It was just so good. As I told the guys, I came in and I was just like, new A24 horror film. Sure, it's a free ticket. I've got to go. I brought Ali from the team and it freaked us out. It was deeply fucking disturbing. Really great work. And I fucking love these guys. They're so talented. So excited about cinema. So happy to be doing what they're doing. And just so pure. And when you listen to the pod in a minute, you'll hear what I mean. Just really cool guys. And it's just refreshing to hear people who are so gassed and excited. And hyperactive to be making movies. Just before I start the pod, our listenership has gone crazy. So hello to all you new listeners. And I'm so bad at plugging myself, but if you can like and subscribe and give us a rating if you enjoy the pod, apparently this really helps. And the bigger the pod gets, the bigger the guests get. All 40 odd episodes are free to listen to. Scroll back, there's loads and loads of great filmmakers who have joined us on the pod. Okay, that's it from me. Here is me and Danny and Michael. Hey guys, how are you? We're good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Let's start at the beginning. What did you guys grow up watching? What movies had a real effect on you in your teens? Well, watching movies way before our teens, our, we had our um, our dad's friend, Jenny, would take us to watch all the MA15 Plus movies that were in the cinema. So she would take us to all the horror films that we weren't supposed to be watching. So our first horror film that we watched in the cinema was Freddy vs. Jason. And then it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. So that, that was like our era when we grew up. So when we were about nine to 10 years old, we're watching those films in the cinemas. Uh, and I think the first film that really had an effect on me was Alien 3. It was the first thing, first thing that I watched when I was like six or seven. And I was watching it because my aunties are watching it. And I remember that scaring the shit out of me. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. Well, yours was Texas Chainsaw Massacre probably in the cinema. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing as you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Huh. But I think I remember Evil Dead having a big effect on me, just how bloody it was, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, so I remember that, like, sticking with me for whatever reason. I just remember getting our grandpa to buy us all the R-rated DVDs because he didn't know any better. So we would always get him to buy us everything we were. Yeah, all the adult stuff because he, you know, he didn't speak English. We're like, get that one, and then he'll get it, and then he'd get told off. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was like, especially exploring and finding really violent anime was a thing as well. Where there was this, 
all these animes that were like R-rated and MA at the time, and we'd never seen cartoons like that. So we'd always get my grandpa to buy those too. So they, they had a big impact on us as well. Did you guys have Legend of the Overfiend over there? Which one was that? Legend of the Overfiend. No, no, I haven't heard that one. That's the most like offensive, disgusting <laughs> manga anime ever is when it was like ultra violence and hentai porn all merged together. Oh, no. Okay. And yeah, it was, it was it's notorious. Way worse than Ninja Scroll. Yeah. Oh, this, really? Yeah, what yeah. This one was so shocking. And it was. What's it called? Just type in Legend of uh, Overfiend. Oh, we're going to check it and out. This, I know Australia was very uh, strict on what they allowed in the country. So I saw the Samurai X Over was so freaking graphic. Uh, we love the Samurai X as well. The Overs of Rooney Kenshin. This totally adds up when I watch how fucked up your film is, and then with your childhood, this <laughs> totally co- corroborates. So t- tell me about when I click on your names on Wikipedia and it, it takes me to your YouTube page. How did you start that and start making films together and getting noticed? Well, yeah, yeah, we're doing like, we were making stuff all the way through our teen years. And then once we sort of finished school, we had this series that we're doing with all our close friends. And we did it from 13 to 18. We had 10 seasons of this show and 80 episodes. We had six movies. We're doing the sixth and final film for this series, but everyone was really outgrowing it and like getting girlfriends, getting jobs, and no one wanted to spend their weekends making it anymore. Uh, and so we had to find another way to be creative. Uh, and by that time, we are sort of volunteering on film sets and just trying to get our foot in the door in the industry. And I started making just like fake fails on the internet, which is like me pretending to stick a knife on a toaster and the toaster blowing up. And things like that. And, and and those videos are going really viral and ending up on like Jimmy Kimmel, Conan O'Brien. And then uh a friend who was had a YouTube channel, like, yeah, really pushed us to make Raka Raka and have a YouTube channel where we could put everything up, let us everyone knew the, the source of it and where it came from. And it just quickly became our jobs and it quickly became a way for us to really sharpen our skills as filmmakers. So how are you making I sound such an old person. How are you making money from YouTube and the internet and funding these projects and sustaining yourselves? To begin with, we weren't because we refused to monetize. So you can put ads on videos yeah. as pre-rolls. But at the beginning, because we weren't doing it for money, we're like, we're not going to monetize. Like, And we thought that people would think we're cool for that. But everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then, so when we got to a million subscribers, we monetized and that allowed us to do the videos. And then we did... You know, we did a lot of stuff for like game brands and things like that. So they were able to fund uh, the biggest stuff that we did. Um, and we'd save up for the bigger videos. But, but we'd well. constantly just like be putting all our money back to the videos, back to the videos. So we never were like, yeah, whatever money we got given, we'd always put a, a bunch more to like make the video even better. So we're like constantly broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even with the film, we reinvested our fees back into the film. That's what I was thinking when you were saying your friends started, you know, growing up and moving on to do grown-up shit but i guess you do need to start that unwavering belief in what you're doing in it going somewhere well you know like when we were at we did a media course and the teacher told us on the first day two percent of you are gonna work in the film industry everyone else isn't (laughs) and we're like okay then great all right how scary was our lawyer when we reinvested our fees into the movie he's like don't do that you're never gonna see money again but like where the film could be successful you never know and he's like 8% 8% of Australian films get their budget back, make their budget back. So there's like, yeah. But like for us, it's like, 
It's just what we've always loved doing, like ever since as long as I can remember. So it's like I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And we're never able to hold down normal jobs. And, <laughs> and like even that. if it's, it's going to make the film even like one or two percent better by putting that money into it, then it's like have it. Like we, we want to make it the best it could possibly be. And what I loved about your movie is looking back, you set up the premise so confidently and then you just jump right into it the backstory is very minimal but i i I was thinking back to my friend made those um creep movies patrick bryce and the whole conceit is he puts on this kind of horror store mask and that's it and it's really scary and i was saying to him you're really taking a risk so you, you gotta believe the mask really quickly and get behind it and it's similar to you guys that you gotta believe the embalmed hand and that's it you know the movie either will work or fail based on if you believe the concept and conceit so i was just wondering you guys exited so confidently how did you jump into that we knew that we didn't want to get bogged down in the mythology of it like we have a really really massive thick dense mythology bubble which break down breaks down all the rules it breaks down it breaks down all the spirits that are connecting with everyone the history of the hand uh, but but like it's always that part of the film that I sort of switch off in when they start doing the researching and they're, they're going to the libraries or they're, they're talking to the experts. Like I, I always switch off for those part of the films. And so like I knew that we really wanted to have the kids be in over their heads, not really understand what they were messing with and only have clues about what this thing is and where it came from. And, and the rules are rules that the kids made up. They're not necessarily the rules that work. So, uh, yeah, we just wanted the kids to be over their heads. I think also, like, having that big, thick backstory, when you do see the hand, I feel like it comes with kind of a weight to it that feels like it's had, like, a history. So uh, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, uh, for us, it was like we never questioned, you know, that it's like that it's going to come in with a bang. We're going to... Put them, put them right in the center of this uh, this world. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great thing with the actors as well to be able to pull it off believably. Like everyone in that party scene and the performances uh, just really helps. You know. It really is just a little flimsy. It's hand. our production designer's hand. <laughs> yeah, because it does totally feel like just some fucked up party trick that kids would get into. It's almost like, when you see some pull out a Ouija board at party, that's the point where I'm like, fuck this, I'm out. But all, all the kind of edge lords are like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. And it totally just does feel like a... Yeah, we just wanted to have our own, our, yeah, our own Ouija board, our own mythological horror item. So, uh, yeah. And, and have it current as well. Like, what would kids be doing with it if it was a real thing? And I think that's exactly what would be happening. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think I'm a bit of, like, I would be filming it and using it, to be honest with you. I would be so addicted to using that damn thing. Yeah, that was one of the really creepy parts of it. That, that, that there was this kind of um, almost addictive lure to it. That the yeah, that the possession is kind of an endorphin and intoxicating in its own way. Yeah, we just wanted to represent. Uh, well, it represents many things, but one thing it represents are just vices in general and, and any sort of addiction that you can grab grab onto it and use as a crutch. So yeah, we just wanted that had to represent all that. And how do you know when a scary scene is working on set? How how do you know that's going to be a that's going to hit? It, yeah, you can sort of see it on the frame and the makeup and in the the blocking. Like that's well, that's the good thing about practical effects. Um, is like you have something there real to react off of. You know, when we bring the spirits in and things like that, everyone's like, oh wow! Like it's not just something where you know, imagine it's like 
it looks so amazing in camera. So doing as much in camera as possible really works. Yeah, and then rolling on it and then finding the frame in the moment where it's like, oh, move it here, go to the left, change that, pan it over here. Like you can just try and find those those really gold moments. Uh, and you only need a little bit of them. You don't need to linger on things. Uh, yeah. And what is your dynamic together? I'm always curious of directing duos. Really physical and violent. Uh, this fight, whoever wins, is the direction we're going to go in. Okay, so you have like a little like an <laughs> MMA kind of outside, like Joe Rogan. Like. <laughs> That's right, some UFC. No, um, so Danny's usually the main voice on set. On set, we um, like we have the same overall vision. So if I have direction that differs from like his, I'll let him know first, and we can try a take like that. But usually Danny's the one voice on set, and then also. We split things up with uh, um, post-production. Post-production, like I, I focus more with the sound effects and the music, like with those departments, and Danny would be with the VFX and the, and the colour and things like that. So we're able to deviate things, except for the editing because our poor editor, we came to the you know the set, his suite to edit, and I had an edit of the entire film. Danny had an edit of the entire film, and he had an edit of the entire film. So we had to like go through and see which one tells the best overall story, you know, cohesively. Um, so it was like going through each one and, and seeing finding the best moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You edit it all separately. Well, yeah, like um, we both got laptops. We both edit, and and I shoot and I edit in my head while I'm shooting. So I'll be like, oh, that's cool. I need that there. And then like when you're going to bump out of the location and we can't go back there, we'd stay up all night and edit after set, or we'd be editing on set to start putting it together and making sure we got all the pieces that we need for the puzzle because there was no budget to go back and get them later. Right. Yeah, I remember there was that really funny story when they were making the movie performance with Donald Cameron and Nicholas Rogan. They thought, great, Warner Brothers were like, maybe duo directors of a way forward because Nick does all the technical in-camera stuff. Donald works with the actors and they had these big studio meetings of like, duo directors of the way forward to have a really efficient shoot. And then they brought the movie back and it's all got this fucking satanic imagery and I think there's possibly some real sex in the movie and crazy violence and they're like yeah never again oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think like duo directors kind of if you have that same pure overall vision i feel like it's a bit of a cheat code because a film is such a man of task to tackle i couldn't imagine doing it completely by myself of course you have a massive team like a great team around you of collaborators but for directing like just having one person like oversee everything, like I, I feel like it's good to have to be able to kind of you know take the pressure off a bit and kind of split up a little bit in there. But with it, we have the same overall vision, so it's you know I could be doing stuff and then show Danny, and then he can give notes while he's doing. You know, it's yeah. like I could do the, you know it's like a good back and forth. I feel well, it feels like you guys have got like the twin tuition going on, but I know I know a lot of the Safety brothers argue like fuck on set. It's it gets really heated and then they'll reset and move forward. We always we always argue over texts where no one can see it. Okay. Well, shit, if it's happening, I'm fucking yelling next time. So um, what movies were you watching for inspiration for this movie? 
There's like, in terms of like uh, genre dipping and tonal swaps, like uh, Memories of Murder, Bong Joon-ho, watched a lot of Exorcist, Let the Right One In, The Return, films like that, just all the atmosphere and character and like having the horror be based in reality and, and not let it feel too uh, too extreme or too elevated. Like we just wanted it to feel as realistic as possible. Yeah, we had great HODs as well. Like every weekend we'd get together and watch films and then look at the rushes and then talk about what's coming up. So it was like we were on like 24-7, which was awesome. We had an awesome team with us. Yeah. I guess your YouTube channel was just a clear calling card as to what you can do. Um, how long from conception to shooting? Yeah, yeah. Well, the um, it was like putting it together and attaching producers first before anything. So we we uh, we we did shop it around Hollywood, and everyone said no. We got we went back to Australia. We we um teamed up with Causeway, which are producers. I uh, started putting together the funding independently, and then a studio offer did come up and come in. Uh, but uh, again, they were trying to deviate our, our vision a little bit and maybe made the film feel a little more typical, like the notes that we we're getting. So we we're scared of going with them. So we we decided to go full independently and then like raise the money ourselves and like with Screen Australia, SAFC, uh, and then put the, the funding together like that. And then it pretty much you make the film and then you hope to sell it afterwards. So like we made the film and then we took it to Cannes Film Market and off of the promo rule alone, we started pre-selling all these territories. Like like our producer couldn't believe it. She'd never had it before in her career that all these territories wanted it. So she pre-sold just about all the world just to offer the promo rule. And we held off on the US distribution to see if we could get into a film festival to try and get a bigger distribution. Uh, and yeah, we, we got into Sundance and, and Berlin and uh, South by Southwest, which is where A24 saw it. And there was a bit they of saw it at Sundance. They saw it at Sundance, yeah, yeah. And and then um, it was there that like there was a, a bit of a bidding war that happened with um some some of the studios, and we ultimately decided to go with A twenty four. Holy shit, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was the whole the whole like we, we didn't Sundance was because when we made the movie because we walked away from the guaranteed theatrical from the studio. We didn't know, you know, we just made a movie that we liked and we thought was good and, like, we didn't want our creative vision taken away from us by, like, a studio. So we didn't know what the reception was going to what people were going to think and about also, it. also, we didn't even know this side of the business. Like, we didn't know that you had to sell films or how anything worked. We were just like, they're like, this is your sales agent. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, and, we're in and they're saying all these things. Like, oh, this person's a bit like, like, like uh, I'm like, dude. But A24 was cool. I'm like, A24 was cool. Whatever that offer is, maybe that one. Like, it was just like, like A24. Yeah. yeah. Even now, this whole, like, marketing thing and that, you know, us, it's creative with, like, make, uh, you know, making a film and a story, you know, and, and everything that goes into that. As soon as the film's finished, like, like with the edits locked and all that, it's like, all this other stuff, and this is because yeah, like, we're from. We've been on set for films, but what happens after films finish? We're used to YouTube on that front, where it's just post it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, this is like the really sophisticated version of just upload your file. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've like a you know like when you um you upload it um scheduled. It's going to be next Tuesday, but that's it's complicated. July. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing, you guys. Just, uh, I, I, but I kind of think the passion for the project and the naivety of the business is pretty well. It's pretty won so much in your favor. Yeah, yeah. Almost, it kind of reminds me when I used to play poker with my friends, and I, I half know how to play, <laughs> so I, ha I have no. Po my my poker face is confusion, and people <laughs> people can't get a read on me, and I'm just winning bank. But it's because I don't fucking know what's happening, and I'm here for it. And it's almost like it's, yeah. it's the million dollar stakes of that of just like. 
yeah, put back in our money into the film and let's yeah. see where it goes. And well, yeah, that was the thing is like with the the money stuff. Like now we have a team around us that like looks after that stuff because we're really bad with money. It's like. If this we money, no it's going straight to the videos and we had no money. We like couldn't even fill up our car. We're like, we're like, couldn't fill up all the way. We looked at each other, like, oh my god, we are broke. Like it was like we have to figure out a way to get the set. But it's like, yeah. I don't know, like that that stuff's just like we're doing what we love. So it's like Yeah. It's there's nothing else I'd rather be doing with all the money in the world or whatever. It's like, you know, I, I we want to be making movies and now we've got a cool team around us that like you know, makes us uh, protects us from ourselves. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start getting a pension plan together, guys. Start <laughs> saving something back. What do you want to do next? Have you got plans? Have you got things in the works? There's so much stuff in the works. We have so many ideas, but there is one script that I finished called Bring Her Back, which is another horror film, and I'd love to do that next. It'd be so amazing. But uh, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. yeah. But that one may be next. Um, but yeah, we've been working on a bunch of stuff. Like the YouTube stuff, we're able to get all the little ideas out of our head. Yeah. Like we have 30 years of the big ideas, like films oh God. Yeah. boiling up. Like we're ready to go. Yeah, I'm so hungry to just do another one. I, I love yeah. the series. You, so cool. you guys really need your kind of um, Robert Rodriguez Troublemaker Studio type of setup in Oz. Yeah, we're going to keep all about. Well, you know, I think, I think um, like we have uh, people that are interested in what we're doing next, which is awesome. And then A24 is so supportive and they're awesome as well. And like, they're keen to do, you know, things. So it's like, we want to shoot this year. So yeah, we'll see, you know, so, yeah, it's a big thing. Like us, let's do it. It's not a YouTube video. It takes time. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the great thing. Well, that's the great thing about being DIY for so long is, it kind of reminds me when I was shooting stuff in Union stuff and I was like, oh, it's going to be a few days. I'm like, we can knock this out in a fucking hour. I've been doing this shit on camcorders like all my life. It's really not that deep. <laughs> yeah. Watch. Exactly. I need to wrap up, but guys, your film really fucked me up. I was so surprised as how terrifying it was. Because I went in knowing nothing. I, I got the email for like New A24 horror film. But holy fucking shit. I was traumatized. It was oh, spectacular yeah. work. Oh my god! Even to the point, uh, I, I was with Ali from the team, and we're in a fancy screening room where there's like big couches between everyone, and so you didn't have that kind of moment that that when it's squished together in a cinema. And I was looking over, like, this is ter- I'm terrified. This is so- <laughs> <laughs> look over down the road. <laughs> the road. Yeah, literally, like I wish you were nearer. I was like, it really fucked me up. Amazing work. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, we're so, so, so glad and, you liked it. We're loving the, uh, it's nerve wracking doing the screenings, but also watching it with a big audience when they're into it um, is amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's because you love the bits that are coming, you know, and it's like seeing, being in the back of the crowd, watching people react to it is great. It's so much so fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah, you guys already, it reminds me of like Exorcist Free level scary or Jacob's Ladder and stuff. All the really ones that have deeply traumatized me. <laughs> oh, that's so cool thank you thank I'm you. happy and I'm sorry but also happy that we're not no it was great it, it, I'm dead inside it was great to come out and think wow things can really <laughs> still things can really still fuck me up that's really refreshing in the genre movies that something can really come out and still mess you up and have images in your head that you're thinking about for days and stuff so incredible oh, yeah. work. So, cool. so glad you liked it that's awesome yeah right I'm gonna leave you to it guys you're uh, amazing I love your energy please keep up the amazing work and we'll do an interview again next time. Next time. Anytime. Can- anytime. Oh. I could chat to you guys for ages. Awesome, uh, man. Sweet. Cheers. Thank you. Take care.
that was me with Danny and Michael. Talk to me is out now. Go see it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And we will speak soon.